Hello and welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. And this week we have Apple Insider video producer, contributing editor, and does many of our reviews on the site, Andrew O'Hara. Is that right? That is it. Andrew O'Hara. Andrew O'Hara. Very cool. Thanks for joining me this week, Andrew. Yeah, of course. And we have some interesting news this week. I wanted to launch with, I think, some of the biggest news that we've seen talking about the ARM-based Mac. So the actual news that came out this past week was Ming-Chi Kuo. He says that ARM Macs will be coming in the first half of 2021. And the actual quote is that Apple will be going to a five nanometer process in about 12 to 18 months time. And Kuo believes there'll be a new 1H21 Mac equipped with its own design processor. So this is something that's been rumored for a long time. Obviously, Apple makes so many of its own chips now. I actually tried finding all the different kinds of chips that Apple makes right now. <laughs> and they obviously make the A series for the iPhone and iPad. They make the S series chip for the watch. Mm-hmm. T series, the secure enclave chips. The W series for AirPods. The H series for some of the Beats and the AirPods Pro. And then the U1 wideband chip. So they are no strangers to making their own silicon, obviously. And so this is kind of exciting. This opens up a lot of possibilities for Apple. Again, practically, it means that they could not be at the whims of Intel. They start developing their own silicon. And, and so it'd be really interesting to see. And I was thinking about it. Andrew, do you remember? I don't know how old you are, actually. So we'll see if you actually remember this. <laughs> so do, do you remember that PowerPC to Intel transition back early 2000s? Yes, as a matter of fact, I do. I'm not I'm not that young. I do remember that. Very good, very good, yeah. Was your first Mac an Intel or a PowerPC? I was just curious. It wasn't Intel. It was uh, quickly after that. Um, my dad was an engineer, and he was very much on like the Windows camp starting out. So I did have Windows PCs up till there, and then uh, going through high school, I started to get into more video production stuff, web, des- web design and web development stuff, and being able to make it more approachable with iWeb and everything like that. So that was me- what made me get right. my original Mac, start doing uh, initial web design and everything. Yeah, I mean, I remember my first Mac was the 12-inch PowerBook, and it was the G4 processor that it was using. And so I remember that Intel transition. You know, one of the big questions then and now is emulation and how do applications, how quick Will applications like Microsoft Office and Adobe's Creative Cloud, how fast will they move to the ARM processor architecture and how long will Apple have to do emulation? Will they at all? I frankly believe, I mean, they're going to have to do some kind of emulation at the beginning. They're not going to be able to sell a Mac that can't Mm -hmm. run the Adobe Creative Suite. Uh, How long they do the emulation remains to be seen. But this is why I think, you know, I'd be curious your opinion on this too, but the first Mac that I think that will see this ARM chip from Apple, I think it has to be the MacBook Air. You know, one of the benefits that's going to be from moving to ARM is battery life and, you know, processor speed savings because of the way they'll be able to optimize everything. And so I feel like the MacBook Air will be the first one. This way, it's not incumbent on pros to have to run like Photoshop and Premiere in an emulator. And that lightweight MacBook Air that so many people get because they like the battery life and portability, that that would have to be, I would think, the first one, maybe the 13-inch MacBook Pro that would actually try, they'll move that first to the ARM chip. I don't know. What do you think about that? I don't know. I was debating a lot about this before, actually, whether it was going to be the Air kind of go with the 
the lower end unit that's move a lot of units, but I know the MacBook Pros, aren't the MacBook Pros like the top selling laptop or is it the Air? I can't even remember at this point. I don't think Apple breaks it out super clearly, but it definitely, I mean, I think the MacBook Pro 13 inch, I think it is the, the, the kind of the most popular model. Yeah. So I don't know if Apple would try to go with the most popular model to try to get it you know, out fast, which is, I think if more people have this, the faster we're going to see people transition, right. you know, their apps and everything over. So that could be the, th- the strategy they go. But that actually came, that brought me to my bigger question, which is when Apple is publicly going to talk about this, how much lead time are they going to give developers? Are we going to see something at WWDC the middle of this year? Because that gives them only, what, uh, six to eight months there sometime to start if that first one's going to land uh, early next year. So yeah. I don't, I'm really curious on if we're going to see something about it now to get developers ready. So they have time to start working on this or if they're going to kind of just drop it as a surprise on devs, like really close to launch. Yeah. That was my bigger question. And when we're actually going to hear something publicly, I think catalyst announced that the last WWDC is kind of the first steps to this move in the future. I can't imagine that they would announce anything at this year's WWDC if the product might not come out for another year and a half. I think we'll see some technologies, maybe some changes to the SDK. Well, they said 2021, right? 2021, right. But I mean, you know, I could see Apple announcing an ARM Mac next WWDC, and then they say available this fall or something. Or okay, but according not. to Quo, wasn't it the first Mac should land to be in consumer's hand within the first six months of 2021, which means it would be before next year's WWDC? Yeah, that is true. Well, you may be right. Maybe you're right. They might actually, ha- maybe they'll say something at this WWDC. I mean, they're not going to have another chance really to talk specifically to, ve- to developers and get them with engineers to start looking at it until next year. So this might be their only chance unless they hold something else. Uh, or just go through press releases, but that seems for such a big transition, it seems no. like they need to let them know early. Yeah, and that was even something I remember when during the Intel switch. I mean, they had commercials that were talking about, you know, what are these Intels doing in Macs? <laughs> you know, they really needed to get the word out there and, and blanket everybody with it. So you might be right. It might be something is said, at least architecture-wise, maybe something, an update to the Catalyst tools that developers have. So yeah. let's see. I'm excited for this transition, though, again, Apple not having to wait on Intel for processor updates and releases would be great. Obviously, in the iPhone and iPad, Apple has been releasing new silicon every it's year. It's crazy, yeah. And they've been really keeping up. And it's, they're, um, they're more powerful, you know, than we look at, you know, Android counterparts that are running, you know, faster processor, more cores in their processors. And yet, uh, looking just at raw performance, the iPhones are still beating them with Apple's in-house design stuff. So it's crazy they're going to be able to have that control over on the Mac side, and the the ARM processor should run at the same speeds. They should have lower heat. So we could theoretically see Apple lean into thinner machines with similar processing power, or they could stay the same but just bump up the power in a similar footprint. So it's interesting to see which way they're going to go with it. Yeah, and I would also be curious what happens with GPUs because right now, mm-hmm. you know, they talk about the GPUs built into the A13 Bionic or whatever other silicon they release so yeah would be really curious is it only integrated gpu and how do they work with gpu manufacturers to actually integrate that stuff into the new macs i find you know looking at the mac pro that was just released i feel like that particular mac is a long time out 
from mm-hmm, seeing yeah. a specific ARM chip and architecture. But I, that would be exciting too. You know, if they really build server class, professional grade silicon for their Mac Pro, that would be incredible. I do want to uh, give a prediction here. I was just looking at their lines. You know, they got the A's, the W's, the T's. I'm thinking if they go to that ARM chip on the Mac, I'm thinking they just go straight M1 or M you some think? number. <laughs> some number. I mean, you know, I don't know what other letter. What do you think? Do they go to the different letter? I don't. The only reason that I would ha- that I would not think M is that for some reason that makes me think of like metal and the graphic side of oh, things, not true. processing. That's true. Like I get it for Macs, it makes sense, but you also have like the graphics side. So if they end up going the graphics route, if they have something you know independent in a Mac, or they're going to completely integrate it, that's a whole question. So it definitely could be M, but I don't know if they would go with something right. different just because of the GPU situation. That's true, and I mean they go with H, you know, for the AirPods Pro. <laughs> so it's not like it doesn't have yeah. to be related to the actual device. So, so yeah. we'll see. This is developing, and so we'll see in the next number of months in the WWC what else comes out in the news for this ARM Max. So I wanted to touch on iOS 13.4. The beta 3 came out this week. They've been releasing betas pretty regularly for this, so hopefully it'll be coming soon. Newest features that have been discovered in the latest beta is a possible internet recovery for iOS devices like iPhones and iPads, so you would not need a Mac to restore it. You can do it over the cloud, which is great. I'm looking forward to the mail toolbar changes. We didn't talk about that last week, but you know, in iOS 13, Apple removed the dedicated folder icon and flag icon in the stock mail app, and those are supposedly coming back in iOS 13.4. But I don't know about you, I'm actually most excited to try the iCloud shared folders. I've been Using iCloud Drive more and more, storing files there, using the Files app, at least trying to when it's not buggy. But I'm really curious how these shared folders work and how solid that is because I may consider dropping a Dropbox. I use Dropbox personally and for business, and it's pretty powerful. But again, the desktop app is just so kind of bloated right now. So I'm considering maybe moving to iCloud shared folders. Do you use iCloud Drive like that or do you use a different cloud service for your main work stuff? I mainly use iCloud Drive anymore. Mm. It's been I've been using it more and more in um you know, probably recent years. I was originally using Dropbox, but it became like you said like just bloated and kind of ridiculous. So I, I transitioned away from that. I was using Amazon's Cloud Drive for a while. It wasn't the best, but they were giving away like unlimited storage, unlimited you know capacity for like 60 bucks a year or something right. and i was like i'm all about that uh obviously video production side of things we deal with a lot of footage so that was really enticing to me but then they ditched that because right. probably people were <laughs> abusing it a bit yeah. much right i kind of went away from that and now i've just been using icloud drive mostly because how integrated it is and how easy it is to use but like you said that biggest problem had been not being able to share those those folders you know that feature showed up with ios 13 in the beta phase they announced it and then they pulled it before the public release and now it's back in this beta and i am very excited because i run into it all the time because i literally have to go to amazon or google drive or something else when i need to share a bunch of files and it's kind of just an annoying pain point and i i really like i know there's still some bugs and hiccups and files on ios is uh sometimes rocky but it's this is coming a long way and it's really getting close to completely replacing any of those other services for me yeah i agree and i will say as as however buggy the ios apps are i mean i've never experienced data loss and nothing 
you know, catastrophic has happened with it. I would love to see the web version of iCloud Drive be a little more robust, kind of a little more intuitive interface. Load faster. Yeah, load faster, especially. And I would also love better like progress bars and for iCloud Drive to kind of let you know what it's doing in the background. You know, you kind of have this nondescript pie mm-hmm. whenever you put something in your documents or desktop and it's uploading to iCloud Drive, but it's it's always kind of unclear. And, you know, can I force something to get uploaded right now and like take priority? Exactly. And I want it to go faster as well. Yeah. Like it's just, for some reason, oddly slows down. I'm like, what part is slowing you down? Because I'm on battery right now. Do I need to plug you in to go faster? Um, I was recently working on a video and I needed to get a bunch of footage off my phone. And I thought the best way would just be drop an iCloud drive. It shows my Mac a few minutes later, all good. But it ends up being like eight gigs of files that I had created on my phone. And it right. was uploading ridiculously slow. And I'm on the Wi-Fi 6 and everything. And it, right. my upload speeds should not be that slow. And I don't know why it was slow or why it like you know wasn't going right away. It's not all apparent. I understand Apple's need to simplify and make it so you don't have to worry about things. But for those who kind of need it to. I'm like, what's yeah. going on? What's happening? What's the bottleneck? <laughs> right. Anything. Can someone give me some feedback? <laughs> and also like, when, you know, I was trying to open a pages document on my Mac and it was in iCloud. It was not downloaded locally yet. But from pages, if you just try to open the document directly from the open dialogue in pages, there's not like a forced download option. It just, it grays out the file name and you can't do anything with it. I actually had to open Finder find the document and tell it to force download. And so just little tweaks like that, you know, hopefully they can iron those things out. But I would love to just, you know, I already pay so much for iCloud Drive for the whole family to share. And I have all the space on there. I would love to transition away from Dropbox and all those other kind of options. So so we'll see. We'll see if this iOS 13.4 and updates to Catalina will help it make it a little bit more solid and usable. I agree. I'd also like to kind of see more storage for iCloud Drive. Yeah. Right, what, two terabytes is the max, which isn't bad, but I would kind of like to maybe double that. I'm pretty sure I'm at least halfway through my storage at the moment, and I know right. it's just going to keep growing. So I'm hoping that they get to uh, add some additional tiers because I would for sure pay more. Yeah, absolutely. And also I have my entire family iCloud filled. So I have six people on it, six iCloud accounts. And so with all the device backups and photo library backups. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely getting eaten up. So I, for sure, I would definitely pay for more storage if I could drop Dropbox and all that. If you own your own business or you're a freelancer, one of the most important things you can do is automate those tasks that you do all the time. Whether it's posting a blog to social media or automating something in your Slack channel, one of the best tools you can use for these kinds of tasks is Zapier. Zapier is a website and a service that allows you to plug into so many different applications and websites and software that you can automate so many different things for your personal business, for social media, or even just for fun. I'll give you a couple examples that I use Zapier for personally. I have several podcasts that post a new episode weekly, and I always want to post those episodes on social media, on Twitter and on Facebook. And I like to post them with the right image and with the title of the episode, maybe even an emoji in the post. And Zapier makes it so easy because it can integrate with any RSS feed that you have, whether it's a podcast, maybe it's a blog that you write, and you can have Zapier take your RSS feed and whenever you post something new, create a custom post with the text that you want and to have the title displayed like you want and the custom link. And you can have Zapier do that automatically. So when you post your blog or podcast, it gets shared to social media without you even having to think about it. 
I also use Slack and I'm in several different channels. And Zapier integrates with Slack and so many other tools that you can automate things into a specific Slack channel. Let's say that you work on a video team or you work with several video producers. You can have it so that every time a video is posted to a specific YouTube channel or playlist, then a link to that video can be automatically posted inside a Slack channel via Zapier. Zapier will work in the background and do all that for you. It's the easiest way to automate your work and it connects with all your business software and handles everything for you so you can focus on the things that matter most, whether it's being creative or leading a team. So don't waste your time on tasks that could be automated. That's exactly what Zapier was built to do. So go to our special link, Zapier, that's Z-A-P-I-E-R dot com slash Apple Insider, and you can connect the apps you use most and let Zapier take it from there. You can engage with leads, send them to a CRM application or even a Google Sheet or other spreadsheet, and then notify your team that there's a new lead so they can act fast on every opportunity. Zapier supports more than 1,500 business applications, and the possibilities are virtually endless. Best of all, it's easy to build the exact solution you need in minutes without writing any code or asking a developer for help. More than 4.5 million people, including myself, are saving an average of 40 hours per month by using Zapier. So right now through the end of the month, try Zapier for free by going to our special link, zapier.com slash Apple Insider. That's Z-A-P-I-E-R dot com slash Apple Insider for your free 14-day trial. Once again, go to zapier.com slash Apple Insider to try it. Our thanks to Zapier for sponsoring this show. So I wanted to touch on Mac Pro. There was some Mac Pro news this past week. Apple actually released white papers for the Mac Pro and the Pro Display XDR. And I don't know if you got a chance to look at these PDFs, but they are some extensive, extensive PDFs <laughs> talking about the hardware. Now, you actually have a Mac Pro on hand. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm sitting right next to it right now. Yeah, and I actually have a Mac Pro that I use at work, so I've been able to have some experience with it. I know forthcoming, you're going to talk about the Mac Pro in depth and kind of just day-to-day use. But for those maybe considering getting a Mac Pro or just kind of more interested in how you can configure it, these white paper PDFs are actually pretty useful. They even have configuration suggestions. So if you actually go down in that PDF and you want to get a machine that's geared towards video editing, maybe specifically geared towards development, if you're an app developer, even like science, tech, and research, Apple actually gives you some suggested configurations all the way down to the graphics card, how much memory you should use, the storage, and all that kind of stuff. So they're actually pretty interesting. If you're interested in in getting a Mac Pro, I would take a look at these white papers, and they're just interesting to kind of browse through. They even talk about some third-party accessories like the Belkin lock adapter for Mac Pro. And so if you need a, a way to secure your machine someplace, you can get that. I didn't know that even existed. And so they actually link it to the Belkin thing there. So pretty cool there. And the same thing for the Pro Display XDR. They have lots of info there. Also, the other news was that Apple will soon let Mac Pro owners install their own wheels. <laughs> so, you know, this is kind of funny. It was First of all, it was hilarious, the predictions about how much the wheels were going to cost leading up to the Mac Pro launch. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have guessed, but you know, the wheels, if you don't know, the wheels alone are a $400 addition if you buy the Mac Pro. Did you get the wheels? Just curious. No, I did not get the wheels. <laughs> I didn't 
have a need for the wheels. Yeah. I can, I mean, if you're editing, if you're, especially if you're using this for onset production or anything like that, the wheels are going to be just extremely useful being able to move it around so much easier. I mean, it has the handles on top, so it's still relatively easy to move, but I can see the wheels being beneficial. Uh, I guess if you're looking at that high end Mac Pro, the addition of the wheels is not going to move the, the needle all that right, much. Right, 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 exactly. And it was, it was kind of funny. MKBHD actually did a full review of the Mac Pro, but he showed the wheels and he's like, you know, if you're going to be using this in a, a stationary area or on a desk, you do not want the wheels because the wheels do not lock. And I thought that was an interesting point. You know, you can't, you'd have to put like wheel chucks under them or, or just to shove something under those <laughs> wheels to prevent it from rolling. So, you know, they very rolly. I don't know how else you would say it, but you know, if you're using very them, smooth, they're very, yeah, they're $400 smooth yeah. wheels on this. So yeah, if you're on a desk, you definitely want to do it. But I always, I would hope to have the option, you know, if you want, if you move this thing around or maybe use it on a desk most of the time and you take it elsewhere, they'd be able to take the wheels on and off would definitely be useful. So supposedly that is coming and they'll sell a kit to do that. But overall, tell me, I mean, just your overall experience kind of using the Mac Pro, I assume you're using Final Cut to edit videos and all that. Just high level, like how's it been? What are your thoughts on it? It's still early on for me, but we're still kind of in the transition phase of just moving workflow to the Mac Pro. So I'm coming from a 2016 MacBook Pro, which was a little bit, you know, aging already. So it already had, um, especially when it came to doing some motion graphics and stuff, I started to notice a lot of hiccups. So just from the super high level point of view, the the model that we're equipped with now, which I'm pretty sure is one of the base models here, it's already doing better than what I was used to. But that is not reason enough alone to go for this. I mean, any newer Mac would have shown signs of improvement, but we're looking at, you know, which ways to move storage right now. I'm on a 20 terabyte, let's see, uh, Thunderbolt three drive and an eGPU and stuff like that. So we're looking at moving more of that internally with Mac pro cleaning up desk area and improving performance at the same time. So, I mean, I've been very happy with it. it it's It's great. It works really well. I haven't had any hiccup thus far, but I need to uh, spend a lot more time working on optimizing it for, my actual use to get a good idea on, you know, how much this is worth it versus uh, another MacBook Pro or something else. Yeah, for sure. Now, you don't have a Pro display with you as well, do you? No. Uh, currently, I'm using a new BenQ monitor review oh, okay. forthcoming, um, but just a new model they just launched, which looks very nice, uh, but not the Pro display XDR. I would love it, but that is such a hard <laughs> yeah. thing to justify. I've been saying it 30 million times, but I want Apple to have... I'm glad they're focusing on the pro market, but that prosumer market would also love some love yes. um, and not be forced to go with the kind of fugly LG monitors <laughs> that are out there. I mean, I still have an Apple Thunderbolt 3 display here in the wow. studio. Um I would love even just a slightly more modern version of that. Yeah. Uh, anything, honestly, like take an iMac and take out the computer part, computer part, and just leave yeah. me with that, and I'd be happy. I would buy that in a heartbeat. So I, I would really like to see an Apple prosumer display, and not kind of these third-party options that have been very hit or miss. Yeah, absolutely. And you know that we're not the first ones to say it. A lot of people no. have suggested this, but that iMac 5K screen is great. I mean, it's just a great yeah. screen. And, you know, it's hilarious. The 27-inch iMac starts at $1,800. And I feel like if they straight up sold a display, that 27-inch with 5K, just like it is on that iMac, for the $1,800, 
it would sell. Yeah. You know, and that's that's a monitor that I would be interested. You know, you put some Thunderbolt 3 ports on the back of the monitor, good to go. Like, I would for Absolutely. sure get something like that. The speakers were pretty solid on those. I would take the speakers, add some Thunderbolt 3 ports. I am happy. I will buy that any day. Uh, $1,500, $1,800, that seems like a respectable price point considering even though even though you're losing you know the imac portion of that (laughs) so i would i would hope it would be less so i don't have to pay as much but i would be i I could see myself being convinced pretty easily to shell out for that and you know i think you used to be able to use an imac as a display that was actually a built-in option uh, way back uh, on the imacs i don't think they allow you to do it first party anymore you're able to kind of hack around to do it but it would be just they just sold a display it would be great it would be great have you looked at your wireless bill lately? Honestly, you're probably paying too much. It's 2020. Network coverage is better than ever, no matter your wireless provider. So why pay more for the same service? I want to tell you about Mint Mobile. It's an online wireless carrier. It can cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month for premium coverage. 15 bucks a month with unlimited talk and texting, and you pay for the data that you need. I've experienced Mint Mobile with my iPhone 11 Pro, and it's working great. I still get the same fast LTE data speeds and the same service and coverage that I had before with one of the other wireless carriers. Other wireless carriers have to pay for expensive retail stores and overhead. That's why Mint Mobile has reimagined how you buy wireless and they make it all online and they pass the savings directly to you. Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. And again, every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text plus crazy fast 4G LTE. Use your own phone that you have and keep the same phone number and contacts that you already have. Again, I'm using it with my iPhone 11 Pro and I came from one of those other guys. If you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. And just as a side note, actor Ryan Reynolds, yes, the guy who played Deadpool, decided to become an owner of Mint Mobile. So get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and the SIM card will ship right to your door for free. Go to mintmobile.com slash Apple Insider. That's mintmobile.com slash Apple Insider. Cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Mint Mobile for sponsoring this show. All right, so let's do a lightning round. Some of the other topics that came out this past week. This actually came out last Saturday, so we didn't get a chance to cover it on last week's podcast, but there was these target inventory pictures that uh, were taken, not screenshots, it's like a picture of the employee system. And they showed a new Apple AirPods X generation sold for $399, $399, possibly an over-the-ear version of AirPods. So let me ask you this. Do you actually have a pair of AirPods Pro? I have all the AirPods, all, all of them. The- <laughs> I had the original. I yes. jumped on the chance to pay again for the wireless charging, the small improvements on the second generation. Yes. And then, of course, I went to the AirPods Pro. I use these things religiously, and yeah. I am, I'm just a huge AirPods fan uh, in general. So yeah. I was like, what? AirPods news? Say again? Go again? What was that? Yeah, same. I'd, I'm in the same boat. I've had every model, and I use the AirPods Pro now. You know, it's funny. Mm-hmm. I, I actually still go back and forth for some situations. I want the AirPods Pro. For others, I still actually use those Gen 2 AirPods, uh, especially if I'm like walking around outside. I know you can do transparency mode on the AirPods Pro, and I do that, but something about actually hearing the real ambient, the real ambient noise is just something I, I still prefer sometimes. So I like being able to go back and forth. But 
These are interesting. So over-the-ear possible AirPods Pro and rumors of an AirPods Pro Lite, which makes a little less sense. I mean, I guess there'd be more just kind of like the AirPods Gen 2, but maybe with in-ear silicone tips. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But tell me, how do you think you'd be interested in the over-the-ear kind of AirPods Pro? I think it's going to depend on what we get with over-the-air AirPods X or whatever, Studio Pods or right. you know, whatever names that are out there. Because we already do have, you know, the Beats line, the Studio Beats that have, you know, the same wireless connectivity. They still have Apple's uh, custom chips the w in there. chip, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't remember which one they had, the W1s or the H chips. Uh, I think the H chips are the ones on the new AirPods Pro. Right, yes. But essentially the same thing. I mean, obviously, like that chip isn't going to be the differentiator here. So I want to know... What else would make these, you know, the Apple branded ones versus the Beats ones? The Beats Studio ones are already very subdued for the Beats brand of everything. Right. And I can see a lot of a lot of pros already do go to those for, you know, their studio headphones. So I'm, I'm wondering where these Apple ones are going to fall into that lineup, how they're going to differentiate themselves with features from the Beats side, because Apple keeps, they come out with the AirPods and they bring all those AirPods features over to the Beats side of things. So are they going to come out with something different for their over-the-ear ones that they'll bring, then bring back to the Beats side? Are they going to bring anything from the Studio Beats? Because Apple hasn't done an over-the-ear headphones like this before. So I don't know what to expect. I probably probably will want them. Right. <laughs> uh, I will. Uh, yeah. I use. I still use on my desk, I still use over-the-ear headphones a lot of times. Right. There's a need, but I don't know what they're going to specifically do we haven't actually heard very much very many specifics other than it will go over your ear That's right right yeah i'd be interested especially for the audio editing portion again editing podcasts and stuff like that i might prefer those over the ears just for comfort and sound quality there's still a bit of lag when you're using even airpods and an mm-hmm. ipad uh, especially so if you're trying to edit you really notice that if you're just watching a movie it's not really noticeable. it happens on the mac as well i mean when i'm editing in final cut that's one of the reasons why i can't use airpods is because there is that subtle delay so i'm trying to you know do a voiceover or something like that i can't do it i have to stick with wired headphones so as long as these things have especially have a wired option i'd be pretty intrigued yeah so curious that might be something that's coming out soon another quick article i wanted to touch on i thought this was hilarious so ryan johnson the director Uh, He directed The Last Jedi, and he also directed Knives Out, recently released movie. Great movie. So, and there's a little bit of a spoiler in that movie because of this news. So if you (laughs) don't want a spoiler for Knives Out, maybe skip to the next chapter uh, so you don't hear this. But Ryan Johnson, in a Vanity Fair interview, said this very interesting fact about Apple. And he said, Apple will let you use iPhones in your movies. And obviously, we see Apple devices in movies. We see them in a ton of TV shows. Um, You know, it's always hilarious. You can tell if a TV show is just Samsung sponsored or like, you know, (laughs) Apple allows their devices. Mm -hmm. And he said you can use Apple devices in the movie. But the quote is, quote, Apple, they let you use iPhones in movies. But this is very pivotal. If you're ever watching a mystery movie, bad guys cannot have iPhones on camera. Ryan Johnson continues. Quote, every single filmmaker who has had a bad guy in their movie that's supposed to be a secret wants to murder me right now, end quote. (laughs) I thought this was so interesting. I think this is the first time we're hearing about this specifically, but I just think it's hilarious that Apple will not allow villains or quote unquote bad guys in movies to use iPhones. I had no idea about this. No, I had had no idea. We've seen Apple's product placement is like legendary in the movie business. It's crazy. 
We see it even more with, you know, Apple TV Plus and everything. I am so curious about that. So one, what happens with Apple's own productions of, you know, oh, it shows where they're true. like exclusively using iPhones and Apple devices. Are they all of, a sudden, all of a sudden like villains won't have cell phones at all because they don't want to feature Mm. other devices and then two is apple going to change their stance here because if you know that i'm going to have such a hard time especially doing what we do you know being in the apple space i immediately notice when someone's using an iphone just out of habit i guess yeah and now i feel like every movie i'm going to watch now is going to be ruined forever right (laughs) just seeing this i'm like ah well that guy's using a crappy android he must be the bad guy right exactly i don't know if you're a mystery movie filmmaker I, I don't know after ryan johnson lets this out i don't know if you could do that you might have to not use phones or iphones at all have to go to android you have to use all windows mobile all windows we go. Mobile phones it's the only way to do it but you know i was curious about apple's original content for all mankind they get a pass because it takes place in the past a c you know doesn't have anything i'll have to the morning show i don't know if you could say there's an actual villain or not but that's what I was going to ask too is what how do you know what constitutes a villain do you have to like you know give a script over to Apple and like let them like mark like good guy bad guy good guy bad guy across it all like yeah I feel like there's a lot of you know middle ground on who is a bad guy versus a good guy versus just a jerk or you know where <laughs> right. that where that line is on if they're allowed to use an iPhone I think this is why Thanos didn't have an iPhone that's probably why <laughs> right here I think so. Yeah, I'll be super curious now in future movies. I think everyone will be watching now <laughs> who's, right? who's got the iPhone. Especially movies that are already like in production. Like It'll be the ones that are coming out just now that are going to be ruined. And then everyone's right, going exactly. to have to pivot. <laughs> exactly. This episode is also brought to you by Porkbun. If you haven't heard of Porkbun before, it's a top-level domain registrar where you can get website domains for your business or personal brand with low prices, and they have amazing free services and support. And they actually have a special deal for Apple Insider listeners. You can actually go to porkbun.com right now and get a free .design domain when you use the coupon code AppleInsider. And just like .com or .org, you can use the .design top-level domain for anything you would like, for your website, for your custom email address, or to forward to a website of your choosing. And they're giving our listeners a free .design domain for an entire year. So head to porkbun.com and use the coupon code AppleInsider at checkout to get a year free of your .design domain. It also comes with free email hosting, who is privacy and SSL certification. So go ahead and go to porkbun.com and use the coupon code Apple Insider for that free dot design domain for an entire year. Our thanks to Porkbun for sponsoring Apple Insider. Another thing I wanted to mention, you actually viewed one of the first HomeKit enabled security cameras. And now the Natatmo indoor security camera is now HomeKit enabled and you did a great video review. It's on appleinsider.com and we'll link to it in show notes, obviously. But your overall impressions, pretty good in your experience using it? I think this one's awesome. This is an amazing camera. It has a higher price tag. So getting that out like in the door front, like first, like that is a, it is more expensive than other ones. But the lengths that Natamo has gone through to make this such a good camera, I'm very impressed with. I'm a huge fan of a lot of camera makers. Uh, The Logitech Circle 2s have been very solid. Indoor, outdoor, lots of accessories to go with them. They were, I think, the first to support HomeKit Secure Video. Uh, I guess technically in beta, 
So whatever right. you want to count that with. So maybe this is the first one to actually like officially support it, but that was a thing. So those have been great, uh, but they're still kind of plasticky and have other quips with them, like uh, subscription plans going through Logitech if you don't use secure video. We have the um, Arlo cameras. I love right. them. They've been adding HomeKit support uh, a lot to their past cameras. We just saw the Arlo Pro 3s getting HomeKit support, not secure video, but just HomeKit support. So that's positive. But again, you have a lot of features that are taken away until you're paying for that subscription. And as subscription bloat becomes more apparent, as more apps are moving that way, as there's more streaming services, the fact that we have to add another couple dollar subscription or something is just, it can be frustrating and you sometimes don't even want to do it just out of you just don't want to pay for that many subscriptions. I yeah, mean, you just don't so want to many. do it. So yeah. like the fact that Natamo designed this from the ground up to not have a subscription is admirable. And they've done a lot for security and privacy. So they even when you're signing up for an Natamo account, you don't have to provide your phone number, address, full name, mm-hmm. all that kind of information that a lot of people probably don't want to share anyway. Uh, right. to you know an outside company they don't sell any of the anonymized data that they do collect you have full control over what data they have and then everything that is uh stored as far as your video is local so there's no natatmo cloud servers with all of your video on there that could potentially be hacked into everything is stored local on a micro sd card or you can use your own ftp server or you can actually use dropbox so you have a lot of different options to store that video and now with HomeKit secure video support you can use that as well. So you can just tie that right into your iCloud. It's entirely encrypted and you're already paying for your iCloud storage. So as far as what you're getting with this, you're getting iCloud with a 200 gig plan, lets you connect one camera and you get 10 days of video history. And then with the two terabyte plan, you get 10 days of video history for up to five cameras. Now that is a hard limitation. So there is no outside of that. There is no sixth camera that you can add with secure video we talked earlier in the show like we want more iCloud storage space i want more camera capacity as well i know some homes are not going to need more than five cameras on HomeKit secure video but i think there's a lot of places in my house my house is kind of oddly shaped so i'm like okay i have like my front doorbell camera that i want on there i want my backyard from two different angles on there i want an indoor camera uh, to watch, you know, the dogs, everything happens inside. And I want one near my studio and one towards my basement. Cause we have a split level home where people can come in from the top, from the front or back or downstairs from the front or back. Plus you have like, you know, garage or something that some people may want to cover. I think there are situations where people are going to want more than five cameras and that's a hard limitation right now. But the good news right. is, is all that storage, you can record, you know, 24 hours a day for those 10 days on five cameras. None of that counts towards your iCloud storage. So if you have a two terabyte plan there with those five cameras, it doesn't eat into all that two terabytes. That's actually just on top of your two terabytes of storage. So that's really beneficial. Going back to Natamo, they did a good job implementing it. I haven't really had any issues as far as HomeKit goes. It's been very solid and everything is showing up in the app, but they've done a really good job on that privacy side, on letting you control everything, adding no subscriptions there. The design is very nice, simple, aluminum. Um, I like it a lot. That's awesome. And so it's about $200, about like 190 on Amazon right now for the indoor. Mm-hmm. So did you say the storage is in addition to your two terabytes or does it actually Correct. eat at your iCloud It's storage? addition to. Oh, wow. Yep. So I don't have to worry about my 10 days of recording eating into that two terabytes. 
Exactly. You already have your family and their iPhone backups and their photo backups. You're bumping up against two terabytes. Adding these cameras is not going to touch that at all. This is all additional storage. You get up to 10 days of storage for five cameras on the two terabyte plan. That's awesome. And so honestly, I'm a Canary user. I have a couple Canary cameras Mm -hmm. and I've been really happy with them. You know, they're great cameras and stuff, but it definitely is a monthly fee. And so, yeah, really entertaining this possibility. I liked Canary as well. And they have a, I had Canary for a number of years. We reviewed, uh, I had the original one. I actually backed it from their crowdfunding campaign. Mm. And as far as crowdfunding campaigns go, they have done an excellent job. I loved seeing them grow, coming out with the flex and the lower cost camera. All has been great. But their AI has always been kind of iffy on detection like i constantly get would get alerts on my apple watch of like it detected something specific and it's literally like clearly a cat or other (laughs) things like that or that are just really wrong yeah and it constantly seemed to happen so that was a thing that i noticed with the canary this camera the natama one it has a lot better ai it actually can recognize people's faces so it'll recognize me and my wife um it's kind of funny. I'll walk in the door and I'll get an alert. I'll look down and the camera's like, welcome home and like little things like that. And then when it recognizes people, you can have it turn off recording and everything or live view, everything like that. So you, you don't have to worry about privacy. It would if it sees you, then it completely, you know, turns off the camera essentially. And then if it sees other people, it can record. So I like that. And not only from a security of, you know, just smart home point of view, but think about parents who have kids who maybe want to know that their kid got home from school or something. Yeah. Uh, this allows them to literally get a specific notification, not just when the door was unlocked or the door was opened, but that the camera saw your child. Yeah. Like that's, that's a little bit more comforting about it. Uh, or uh, if you're a caregiver to, you know, an aging relative or something, being able to know what's going on there, make sure that they're at home and they're about and, you know, someone that you don't know came in or that they went out and they weren't supposed to be just keeping some kind of idea on that. It's another being able to recognize faces, I think, is a huge deal and being able to get personalized alerts based on that, based on time of day. They have done a really good job for that. I saw a lot of people saying, oh, I'd rather get, you know, the the wise cameras for 20 or $40 or something. And I cannot see myself doing it. They've had so many data breaches with those, you know, cheaper yeah. cameras. The video call is not nearly as good. The notification below is insane. Even on Canary, I got so many excess notifications that I would stop bothering to look at them. I'm like, oh, yeah. this actually happened to me. This is a true story. And I read about it in the Canary review. I had, I kept getting notifications about, um, a person or something in my house. And I was like, oh, this is nothing. Like we were on the road. We had left two hours ago for a road trip, six hours away. And I just kept seeing it on my watch and I'm like, just go away, Canary. My wife happened to look and she's like, wait, what was that? And she looks again. One of our pet bunnies had escaped from its cage and was running around the house. Oh my God. And I had just completely ignored the notification because they had been sending me, it like, they were, it just kept saying like, there's a person or something. And I'm like, these aren't even right. Like I get these all the time. It's probably just the cat or something. I just completely ignored it. And I'm like, holy crap, I needed to actually look at that. And I didn't even do it because the notifications they send so often, I was just going past them. So if I had a camera like the Natama one, that'll only alert you when it sees someone it doesn't know or something out of the ordinary, you don't get that bloat. And when you do get a notification, you know, it's something you need to pay attention to. Well, I'm probably going to check it out. You can see the link in show notes to Andrew's review and the article and where you can get into Tatmo. It's pretty cool. 
And the final piece of information, I mean, obviously there was a lot of news this week, but did want to mention, you know, Disney CEO Bob Iger actually stepped down as CEO. And ironically, another Bob has taken over. Bob Chapek, who was over all the Disney parks, is now acting CEO effective immediately. And this was not something totally out of the blue. Uh, they had talked about a succession plan recently. So not totally, again, uh, unexpected, but uh, definitely interesting, especially after the huge success of Disney Plus and all that kind of stuff. But Bob Iger is sticking around. Uh, he will be working on some of the creative projects, which he said, again, some of the content for Disney Plus and some of the mergers that have been happening. So he's still around, but uh, yeah, step down as CEO. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. We did see them yeah. talking about, I think he wrote in his book that he his, ex, his contract was extended through 2021 or something to yeah. get Disney Plus out the door. So people right. saw it as, okay, he got Disney Plus out the door. He's free to retire now. All right. Well, you can find Andrew on Twitter. We'll put his links there. You should definitely subscribe to the Apple Insider YouTube channel where you see a lot of Andrew's reviews and videos there. Is there anything else that you'd like to point people to, Andrew, if they want to get in contact with you? No, really, find me on Twitter, uh, Andrew underscore OSU. That'll be linked in the notes. But otherwise, just make sure you check out the YouTube channel and let us know if there's anything that you want us to be covering on that channel. We've got a lot of exciting stuff coming out through the, throughout the year as we have sounds like a busy March for Apple, as well as, you know, the dev conference in the summer and everything in this fall. It's going to be a busy, busy year for our YouTube channel. So make sure you stay tuned to that. Uh, get everything, you know, as soon as we get it. Awesome. And again, you can tweet at me, at Stephen Robles, and all the links to the articles we talked about and social media, our YouTube channel, everything will be in show notes. And we're really fleshing those out, so check out the show notes and you can find everything there. Thanks again for joining us at Apple Insider. We'll see you next week.